Hello! Welcome back to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. Um, so we have finished more or less our look at Lovecraft's works up public written up until 1930. We'll be picking up with his other stories published under his name after um, some detours, some significant detours. We're going to be looking at uh, his revisions um, after this episode. And then when that's done, I think there'll be five or six episodes looking at his revisions from that period, including The Curse of Yeg. And um, I think just The Curse of Yeg. I don't think we'll get to The Mound and um, Medusa's Coil. Those will come later. Um, they're good stories, interesting stories, but I think they'll they'll fit in the 1930s section of this podcast. But then we'll jump back into the letters, volume three of the selected letters at least, maybe volume four. Um, it depends how it feels, how I'll break things up. But... <clears throat> But that's what's uh, that's what's coming up. But I got a little uh, like a, a cleanup job to do in this episode, and it's uh, the very old folk. Uh, that's the name of the story. It's um, it was never published under during Lovecraft's lifetime as a story. It was published posthumously. Um, but it's not like a thing he fully wrote out as a story, like in the case of Charles Dexter Ward. It's in fact, it's a account of a dream he had, a very vibrant dream. The way he described it in his letters to his friends was, uh, quote, it was the most vivid dream in years, drawing upon wells of the subconscious, long untouched and forgotten, of the tale that the cohort no record exists. Well, then he talks about the, you know, the historical reality of the place where this is set. But he says, most vivid dream in years. And we know of other stories that became, or other dreams that became stories, like uh, like the statement of Randolph Carter uh, is, is the most famous, perhaps, of his dreams that became a story. Um, but although a dream, this really comes out of the themes he's playing with at this point of his career. We just finished the Dunwich Horror, and this is almost like another telling of the Dunwich Horror, right? Like we have this kind of, quasi-civilized frontier that needs to be kind of tamed by by the city. I mean, that's something I actually didn't talk about this with the Dunwich Horror explicitly, but it's there, and so I'm telling you now that this is like an important theme. Like, the defeat of the Dunwich Horror is the triumph of knowledge, of the educated, of the 1%, of the urban, of the civilized over the frontier, heterodox, uh, religiously you know, marginalized, right? It's, it's it's kind of a victory that way. I, I think to a certain degree, you have that in a lot of his stories, right? The ultimate, you know, when there's victory, it's it's the victory of civilization over over barbarism. That's really a lot of a lot of the stories at this time are about this kind of uh, how things just get fuzzy and heterodox and and bit crazy in the frontiers, and not because. Really, it's a new thing. It's like those people are more prone to the old, right? The marginalized go to the go to the old traditions for sucker, right? So that, I think that's really one of the interesting thing, most interesting things Lovecraft does in his work is take these these ancient traditions and put them in these modern contexts. But they're places where modernity hasn't touched fully. They're places where they're on the, the margins, like. Uh, those slaves and sailors it's it's like it's somewhat the wild but also somewhat new it's like it's very interesting what he does in with this theme it's there certainly in the shadow over innsmouth as well although we'll come to that later but that's actually written around this time a lot of the stories he published later were written in this period from like the time we returned from new york to 1932 or so that's where like 
lot of his great stories were written, but they weren't published till a little bit later. Um, now, this story textually has an interesting history too. The, if you search for it, if you see it in a published published book of his fiction, you're most likely going to get the version that was written in the November third, nineteen twenty seven letter to Donald Wandry, which isn't in the selected letters. I just double checked the version that we get in the selected letters, the second volume of the selected letters, is the one he wrote to Dwyer. Um, and then he also wrote a version to to along. So he wrote three versions of this, and they're all slightly different. He didn't just copy them. He, he wrote them out originally by hand. So there's differences in the way the story is, is talked about. But I guess the best, they decided that the best or the most coherent, the most literary whatever, is the Wandry. That might also be because of Wandry's power over the Lovecraft kind of brand. After he died, he's key in creating this whole idea of a Cthulhu mythos, that it was his letter that becomes the central text for the very old folk. Um, I just sort of think of it as a Roman dream because I first came across it reading the, the Dwyer letter, and at the time I, I didn't quite know how to deal with it in the course of discussing his letter, so I just sort of skipped it. And I said I'd come back someday and talk about the story and here I am talking about it now so it's very short it's it's a dream so it you wouldn't expect it to be long and, and detailed and how much he filled out later you know he was obviously he dreamed very well he was possibly a lucid dreamer uh, we see that's in the fact that so many of his stories do are do come from dreams and he has a lot of detail right um, I think the statement around of Carter's like he talks about it as basically a, a complete word for word um, description of what he's what happened in the dream. This case too, but I don't know. I'm I'm I don't dream quite at that level. I'm not the expert dreamer. I'm not I'm not a Randolph Carter in terms of my dreaming ability. So um, I don't remember dreams like quite like this. I kind of wish I did. It, it takes practice, I know, and Lovecraft practiced it. So I I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to second guess that this is a, you know, that he filled in details based on the stuff around his mind. I think, you know, although that's that's a possibility here we have to think about. Um, the story itself is is really a story of the conquest of civilization over over these frontier regions and the failure of them. And it's set in in Rome, right? One of his favorite periods of history, right? He often talked in this period in his letters how if he couldn't go to the 18th century, he'd want to go to like the Roman Republic and, and be a Roman citizen. But as Rome expanded, it of course interacted with, with the Druidic cultures throughout Northern Europe, modern day Spain, modern day France, Britain, right? Uh, I guess Britain was incorporated during the Empire, imperial period, right? But France, modern day France wasn't. And, and we know from Caesar's letters that he, you know, encountered the Druids directly as, as a culture. Um, so that's kind of what the story is about. It's, it's about interacting with non-Romans as the Roman Empire is trying to spread this Roman civilization. Uh, the setting is an interesting place. It's set in, in modern day Spain, Hispania, kind of I think those several provinces, right? Sometime in the late Republic. So it's in the, I guess, somewhere in the last century of the late Republic when this area was conquered and incorporated into the Roman Republic, but not really fully part of the empire yet, right? That would come later. It would take centuries for these areas to be fully uh, Romanized or, or Latinized or whatever, right? And eventually they would be, you know, they become Christian and like the 
Visigoths, Ostrogoths, those are Christian civilizations that, that emerged there in the, in the fall of the Roman Empire, right? So by that point, they were Latin speaking, and of course, we see the evidence of that in modern languages, the modern development of, of Spanish, French, Italian, Portuguese. So it's a very culturally mixed place that we that our story jumps in that that, is, that we're put into. Uh, where is it? Um, groups of citizens, broad-browed Roman colonialists and coarse-haired Romanized natives, together with obvious hybrids of the two strains, alike clad in sheep wool and togas and sprinklings of helmeted legionnaires and coarse-mantled blackbeard tribesmen of the circum circumambient Vascones, all throng the few paved streets and forum moved by some vague and ill-defined uneasiness. So this town, we're in this town of Pompello, and it's very mixed. It's, it's not fully Romanized yet. It's still in the process of being Romanized. Um, but there's in the frontier, in the margins of this community, in the hills, the very old folk. And the very old folk are essentially like your, your kind of Lovecraftian cultists who are engaged in wild stuff. It's called the horror on the hill in the story, and our narrator, which is Lovecraft in his kind of dream form, is sent to basically deal with it. He's sent. He's a he's a questier. I don't know how much you might know about these Roman ranks. I'm not an expert on it too, but you know, it's it's a rank in the in in the Roman Republic. So he's of the aristocratic Latin like Roman group, right? This is before the empire when kind of all, all these people are kind of assimilated into kind of a Roman identity as imperial subjects where there's still a strong divide between being a Roman and being everyone else, right? Like the slaves, of course, come from the frontier and they're brought into Rome and it create, makes Rome very diverse but um, and culturally mixed and things. That's an interesting thing about it, but there's always a strip, sharp divide between the Roman citizens and everyone else in the, in the empire, right? As well as the class divides that were so key to the to the fall of the Roman Republic. Um, but we're talking about here about really like people who are probably the farthest from being Latinized. Really like they're the, they're like the Druids, right? They're the people who are fully culturally indigenous to this region. Um, and the very old folks, they live in the hill and they do these rituals and, um, and they freak out the local townsfolk. In fact, they're, they're so nasty that they actually take people. They, they rob people from time to time. Um, but, they haven't done that in this, this current year. And that's even freaked out the villagers more. Um, listen to this. Three months previously, five of the little squint-eyed traders had come down from the hills. And in a market brawl, three of them had been killed. The remaining two have gone, had gone back wordlessly to their mountains. And this autumn, not a single villager has disappeared. So this, this kind of the kidnappings have stopped. Um, but this actually freaks out the villagers more. Quote, it was not like the very old folk to spare their victims on the Sabbath. So there's this Sabbath ritual that they're expecting, which is is horrible, right? And you gotta you gotta think that in the it's kind of like Dunwich, right? Like the weird stuff happened there, but no one knows except the few news reports. The, once in a while, the media gets interested in Dunwich. There's a few reports, but really no one knows what goes on there. It's kind of close to civilization, but ignored. And Pompello's kind of this way. It's it's and it's even more so in a time when there's not modern day communication. So these weird things that are happening are just on the margins of the empire, and they don't draw the attention um, right away. In fact, the local, I think it's an adil, who's like the local 
kind of mayor essentially of of a, of a I think in Rome an ideal like runs part of the city they, they do like the public they're like in the they do the public sphere stuff <clears throat> in a neighborhood or a town and he's like doesn't want to deal with it uh, he thinks the villagers are just being silly but this guy our narrator or Lovecraft our, our time traveling um, quantum leaping Lovecraft does know there's something weird going on here because he studied these other traditions so he's like our typical quest he's like he's like a willet or an armitage or something like that someone who is from civilization but somewhat aware like malone too in the horror red hook right the guy who knows this stuff well enough to know to know it's dangerous he can identify it and he knows it's real. So he says, we got to do something about this. And so he ends up being sent here with like this detachment of soldiers with this vague goal of kind of dealing with this problem. And it takes them some while to kind of work out with the local authorities and stuff that they're going to actually make a move on this, on uh, very old folk, right? And all the, the whole time this is happening, we have the, we have the like the rituals and stuff on the hills and the sabbath is getting closer and closer and closer right so he studies the mythology and he knows this now there's a great reference here to the bacchanalias and how the roman republic tried to put an end to these bacchanalias because they were so like they, they caused such horrible things to you know it's, it's like a even though that comes from the standard roman religion Bac- bacchus being of course a one of the pantheon of roman gods but it was embraced by slaves. You know, there's primary sources on this if you want to read them. There's a, a wonderful little book about the Spartacus uprising. It's one of those Bedford St. Martin history document books published for like world history classes. I used a lot of them and I have a bunch because I used to get like a bunch of them as desk copies when I was teaching university. They're really wonderful little books. And and this one is Spartacus and the Slave Wars and actually gives primary do- documents on the first, second and third servile wars, but also a bunch of documents about vernacular traditions in Rome and things that were embraced by slaves. And the Bacchanalia is one of those things that these foreigner slaves embraced as a as a, almost a means to escape. So we're back to this theme we saw in the Call of Cthulhu. And of course, this dream is Lovecraft has this dream around the time that the Call of Cthulhu is published. You know, with this idea that like marginalized, oppressed people, you know, that aren't incorporated into the society, have not much hope for a future, tend to find something appealing in these traditions that provide some kind of worldly freedom, right? And the Bacchanalia did that. And there's a mention here of the suppression of the Bacchanalia in Rome. And it's kind of contrasted with this need to suppress this cult that's active in the up in the hills so anyways uh they get together their posse uh, to to deal with this this hill cult they move on the cultists and what 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 they see when they get there is kind of the punchline of the whole story is what they see is is horrors horrors that have been sort of unleashed and awakened by these cultists if i can find the exact quote uh yeah, I'll read a bit of this end of the story here. Um, the air grew perceptibly colder, more suddenly than than is usual at November's brink, and seemed stirred by terrible undulations, which I could not help connecting with the beating of huge wings. The whole cohort now remained at a standstill, 
and as the torches faded, I watched what I thought were fantastic shadows outlined in the sky by the spectral luminosity of the Via Laquita as it flowed through Perseus, Cassiopeia, Cepheus, and Cygnus. There, suddenly, all the stars were blotted from the sky, even bright Deneb and Venig ahead, and the lone Altar and Formulahut behind us. And as the torches died out altogether, there remained above the stricken and shrieking cohort only the noxious and horrible altar flames of the towering peaks, hellish and red, and now silhouetting the mad, leaping, and colossal forms of such nameless beasts as never a Pigeon priest or Campion gadman whispered out of the wildest of furtive tales. End quote. Now, kind of these flying creatures, you know, we've seen night gaunts, we've seen things in the festival. That's that's kind of what I'm reminded of most strongly here is the festival, where also we see people, cultists like riding kind of into the water almost, not into the sky so much in that one, but it's, you know, that's in, that's in the festival too, They're like these winged creatures. Uh, these are also referred to in the Call of Cthulhu, so... These these things kind of exist in Lovecraft's imagination, but it's just the, the the immense amount of them, right? And then this dream sort of ends with the one guy going mad, you know, and kind of obviously, you know, that that that's there's no really resolution to the story except that these hor- they failed in stopping this cult on the Sabbath and unleashing these things. Um, so it's the victory of. Of the marginalized again, the victory of of the cultists over the, the the sedentary civilization, if you will. So, um, what to make of this story? Well, it's it actually has so many of Lovecraft's themes. It's got the danger of heterodoxy, the danger of kind of racial hybridity, the, the conflict between civilization and the frontier, or civilization and barbarism, which is such a clear theme in the history of Rome than it is maybe even in the history of America. Although Lovecraft certainly saw a parallel between the problems of Rome and the problems of American and really Anglo-American civilization and its frontier. He's less likely to see America as a separate civilization. He wants to see it as part of this Anglo civilization, but it's confronting this diversity. Right. So there's there's kind of a New York feel to how he describes this town of Pompella with its diversity. And of course, we have the cosmic horror here and we have the class issues and the, the, the marginalized kind of fighting back through old traditions. We have the survivals of old traditions. So in this very, very short tale, just the audiobook's only like 15 minutes if you want to read it or listen to it. Um, you can find it online along with all the other Lovecraft stories. It's sometimes published in anthologies. It's not in the Klinger anthology. It's it is in um, the three volume kind of Lovecraft compendium that's available for free online and just needs to be printed out. Um, it's a good that's a good edition with some good introductions to stories and it had that that one volume of that is about all the revisions. So that's what I'll be using as I move forward as I look at the revisions. So that's in that that's in that book. Um, so. Yeah, if you haven't read this, it's worth checking out. It's it's easy to miss. It doesn't always appear in the anthologies. It's not really a story. It's it is this description of a dream, but it works as a story, right? And it, it's it's um, very much, although in its brevity and in its its tone, it kind of reminds us a little bit of some of his earlier tales. But thematically, it really is of this post New York phase and. And Lovecraft's career. 
So um, that's it. So I will. Um, that's all I'm going to say about the very old folk. Um, it's very interesting. And this is me making up for just skipping over it before because I, I mean, I just, as you see, I had a lot to say about it. So it's just like I kind of presented it just as like a conflict between the barbarians and the and the civilized. But as we see there, when I talked about the letters, but as we see, there's much more going on in the in the story itself, which is why I delayed it. Um, so we're going to move forward with uh, some revisions. So the first one we're going to do is with uh, was written with Wilford Blatch Tallman, and I think this one was more Tallman and maybe a little bit less Lovecraft. Uh, I'll have the details of that when I record it. I have to reread it. Uh, it's called Two Black Bottles. It's a good story. It was uh, written in um, 1926. So uh, that's where we'll start. And I think there's like five or six revisions that we need to look at for the period from 1926 until 1929 or, or yeah, I don't think we're into 1930 yet. Um, so it'll be a, a handful, but it might be five, six episodes. I'm not quite sure. Um, I think, uh, the electric executioners there, uh, the curse of Vieg for sure. Not the mound yet. I don't know. Maybe maybe the next episode. When I, I I don't have that book with me right now. It's in my office, so I will um, do that. Oh, there's one story I haven't yet done. Another kind of cleanup I'll have to do at some point is Sweet uh, Sweet Ermengarde, which is a little romantic romance comedy story that Lovecraft wrote in 1917 or so. It's kind of I think it's days kind of ambiguous ambiguous, which is why I kind of skipped it. But I really should do it too. So. I don't know. I think I'll stick it at the end of this podcast, at the end of this whole series. One kind of final episode. I don't have that much to say about it, but it exists. Um, I mean, it's gonna. I'm not gonna be able to be 100% complete this year. I'm not gonna look at like all the nonfiction, all the poetry. I simply don't have access to it all. I, I need to buy the ancient track, which I think has all the poetry. Um, get a, some. Get some of the other essays he wrote. It's um, there's a lot in the letters. That kind of you can pull out as texts on their own. So there's a lot of stuff I'm, I'm. There's a lot of holes that I'll have to clean up at some point, or 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 accept a incomplete podcast. Any help you can offer in making sure I'm as complete as possible would be appreciated, obviously. So uh, that's where we're at. So um, thanks for listening to this little episode about the very old folk. I I really like this little story. Um, hopefully you'll enjoy it too. Um, leave me your comments at 100pagescast at gmail.com or you can send me a Twitter, a tweet at EvanLampy1, at EvanLampy1 is my my Twitter handle. So um, yeah, that, that'll be it for now. I will see you next time with, uh, with, with the, starting with the revisions uh, from the late 1920s. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>